Hello again, everybody, and once again, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live here, brought to you by Coors Light, as always seen on Giants.com. At the controls for us today, Brian Conforth with me, seated to my left, my buddy, my good buddy, Paul Dettino. I'm Russ Salzberg, and you, the fans are out there. The number, as always, the call is 201. Here I go again. I almost did it, but I didn't, Paulie. I was ready to give my phone number again. <laughs> Why don't I just look down? 201. Just read it. Yeah. Just 201-939-4513. That is 201-939-4513 is uh, the number. Just before we do anything, let me remind everybody that if you subscribe to the Giants Audio Podcast, please note that Big Blue Kickoff Live now has its own dedicated podcast you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify google play or your favorite podcast platform again big blue kickoff live is no longer available uh in the giants audio podcast so please subscribe to the big blue kickoff live podcast and you can still watch or listen to the show on giants.com and the giants app and uh well we got an extra day this week they play the eagles on monday night which, uh, well, it's never a walk in the park, but uh, oh, that certainly going down to Philly is never a walk in the park. Monday night, national TV against uh, an Eagle team that, you know, is struggling to stay in the hunt. So uh, there you go. Not yeah. To, it's never easy, but that one ain't going to be easy. No, no. As a matter of fact, uh, think about this. The Giants have lost five in a row to Philadelphia and nine of the last ten times these two teams have played. And I don't think that uh, I need to remind you, Russ, this has been a very cyclical series. It seems as though, you know, there's an ebb and flow to it. One team owns the other team for a short period of time. Then it switches. And then for several years, the other team owns the series. And then it switches again. I mean, if you remember... It always seems to be like that in the NFC East, doesn't it? Kind of, yeah. Because a lot of times... These teams go on five out of six, seven out of eight runs. It just seems as though, you know, for two or three or four, in this particular case now, it's been five years that the Eagles have owned the series. At some point, it's going to turn around. It just always does. Um, But in any event, certainly it has been a house of horrors uh, over the last five years for the Giants, whether or not it's been in Philly or here. They have had a tremendous amount of difficulty with this Eagles team. Yeah, I, and uh, uh, the ankle it, that seemed to bother him a bit during the game, Daniel Jones. I mean, mm-hmm. listening to the coach yesterday, everybody was already asking questions. Well, you, you think he's going to be ready to go, and, and he's going to be playing. And then when you heard Daniel talk on the conference call, Daniel, uh, he's a go. Yeah, he's he, a go. He, he's a go. Just one of those things, and uh, two and ten is what it is. Uh, battered and bruised, haunted by injuries, but injuries are no excuse. It is what it is, and you move forward to see what you can uh, come up with the remainder of these uh, the schedule. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the number. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Start things off today with our friend Joe. Hello, Joe. You're on with Russ and Paul. How you doing today? Uh, wonderful, guys. Hi. Uh, gl- glad to be able to speak to you two wise owls, as usual. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if wise owls, but we'll you know, just some well, like say old crows your, your, or whatever. Your, your history and that. Uh, I says, uh, uh, I, this would be big if, you know, me in Pennsylvania and Eagle Territory, if we could beat them. You know, I, I just want to at least play a respectable right. game on Monday night. Fair you know, enough. Uh, Fair enough. Start getting our act together. You hear so such, uh, uh, you know, talk here, the coaches going and again. And, you know, you, 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 you just, the only thing I want them to is to get their act together, their assignments and stuff. I just It just gets you. And, you know, offense and defense, you know, the first drive, both of them, you know, offense and defense, I forget what it was, but they both messed up big time, you know. It was assignments, you know. But uh, on the plus side, before I get out of here, because I only have a short time, I was just watching uh, – it popped up on uh, on my screen on Facebook there. Uh, Emlyn Tennell, you know, there. I guess the NFL is doing the top 100 players. Right. 
and he popped up. I guess he's uh, uh, voted there, I guess, for maybe making the start in team. And uh, I just want to say, boy, go to the Giants Chronicle and, and watch that on him, on M1 Tadell. It's, it's really a great story, and he was a great player. You know, I remember hearing of him a little bit, but you know what I mean? Uh, there, uh, And I was just thinking, boy, you and Paul, Russ, could really um, – Put your all all Giants team together sometime when it would slow, and maybe the fans voting on them. You know, well, that would be I, a I, great I, thing. You know, yeah, that that uh. that'd be kind of fun. I, the thing is, and I'll say this: Paul is more of a Giant historian going back back in the day than I uh, am. Mm. But I would say this: uh, Emlyn Tunnell. Yeah, watch special, that on the Chronicles, man. He he really was something there. You know, all, not just a, 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 a great defensive back, but he was in the service. They said the Coast Guard named the ship after him. Mm-hmm. He saved somebody on a, on a boat and got the Medal of Honors and stuff like that. And then being a coach and that, he was a great uh, all-around man, really and truly still. So, uh well, but and that, understand that, not only did the social significance of him being the first African-American player in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which in itself is a very big deal, understand that Tunnell was his era's version of Deion Sanders. And when I say that, I'm talking about a guy who was an incredible athlete at the cornerback position who obviously you know, still ranks among the all-time interceptors in NFL history, but also was one of the most dangerous kick returners that the NFL has ever seen. So, you know, when I think of Deion Sanders, I think of him being the modern-day Emlyn Tunnell. And for those folks who won't go back far enough and don't read the history books and don't understand, you know, when they hear that name, what this guy was all about, if you know what Deion Sanders brought to the field, think of that kind of player. And, and, yeah. and back in the fifties, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, they said he was like, uh, like. Well, I guess he was. Was he? It, I I don't know if he was in pro football, but he was definitely the first giant Negro uh, a, a player, and he came on as a walk and walk on. So I'm just saying to go every all you giant fans and watch it on uh, Giants Chronicles. There, they have it. It's a great. It's a great story of him and. Uh, you know, he was uh, really uh, uh, an athlete. Like you were saying, Paul, he was like Barry Sanders. They said Barry Sanders and Ed Reed. He no, was really a Deion a, Sanders. A Deion Sanders. <laughs> Deion. Barry Sanders, different position, running uh, back. Yeah, yeah. I Legend nonetheless. I, I, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Either way, they'll be on the same, on that top 100. Oh, yeah. That, that's for yeah, sure. I, 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 who votes on that? The NFL or so? Is that who it is? The there, league they... put together a committee of a legendary coaches as well as uh, other Hall of Fame players and, uh, and respected journalists. And I, I don't know how many there were. It was a group of about a dozen people, I think, Russ. I believe so. Who got together and they, they voted on what yeah, they I... considered to be the all-time 100 best players in NFL history, but they broke it down uh, with uh, a certain number of players at each position. So it wasn't just the general 100 best guys. You had to make each position. I think they took like seven linebackers or X number of defensive ends, X number of quarterbacks. They broke it down so like you couldn't just get into the 100. You had to qualify in your position group. Have all, have all the positions been picked? Already? I don't think. Well, they've all been picked, but they haven't all been revealed. Okay. Yeah, even uh, – well, I'm just trying to think here, here too. Now, I, I just remember a little bit or hearing of them, too. Uh, uh, Sam Huff, he has to be one of the – you know, up there as one of the best, what, linebackers I, I, of all time? He was a finalist. I, I, he was a finalist. I'm not sure, but I have to tell you this, Joe – uh, and, buddy, thank you very much for the call. We, some of us were, were chewing the fat over it last week just talking about it. Sam Huff was absolutely spectacular. I mean, he was not, I, I think you'll agree, uh, he, he was, well, for those of you who are younger and may not be familiar, there was a great show, was a news show that used to be on Sunday evenings called 20th Century, and it was hosted by, you know, Walter Cronkite. The, the famous newsman, arguably the most famous newsman in my generation, Walter, mm-hmm. Walter Cronkite. And um, on the show, it was featured. It was the first time a player was, I believe, the first time a player was mic'd. 
the violent That's world right. of Sam Huff. Uh, and I remember seeing it. It was spectacular. Not good. I mean, Sam Huff was absolutely legendary. So, um, Joe, you're very right in bringing him up. He was a special, special kind of uh, talent. Uh, you know, before, of course, the greatest linebacker of them all came along uh, in a big blue uniform that is, of course, Mr. Taylor. I think Mr. Taylor Lawrence is on that list. Lawrence Taylor did make the linebackers. Yeah, uh, uh, somehow, well, do you have way. the list? Uh, I've been looking for oh, the okay. full list, and I can't find the full list. Apparently, uh, they're still doing the defensive backs this okay. weekend. Uh, they haven't named the defensive backs or the special teams guys. I'm looking if they have. Let's see here. Yeah, they just announced the defensive linemen and the linebackers this past week. All right. But, um, no, I'm still looking for... All right, let's get other to positions. Well, anyway. know, we'll, we'll get to the phones. 201-939-4513 is the number. Some lines are open. But right now, uh, is it also in Pennsylvania? We're going to ch- check in with Bob. Hello, Bob. How are we doing today? You're on with Russ and Paul. Hello, guys. Um, Hi. I, I ask up front that you don't hang up on me today, Russ. You okay. hung up on me last week, mm-hmm. so I... Um, well, I'm a let's put giant fan. Right. Season tickets since '73. It takes me four and a half hours where I'm located now to get to the game. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 wait! '73. So you you went to the El Bowl? That's when I started. That's when I got my foot in the door. Oh my goodness! I, I was 18 years old. And that's when I was able to secure Giants tickets because they were playing in the Yale Bowl. Oh, wow. And that would have been a longer drive for you than even coming to the Meadowlands. No, that wasn't longer because I used to live in North Jersey back then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, I, I, you know, I'm really kind of hurting right now because I'm, I'm worried about that, that I'm worried about there's not going to be changes in it, football is the most important sport as far as coaching goes. Mm-hmm. I don't think the talent on the Giants is that bad that we should look this bad. And the last time I, I, what you hung up on me about was when I said it would be better for them to lose, get the get the uh, a chase for chase, get that guy who could actually maybe make a difference. I'm not saying he's going to be LT. But um, it hurts me to say that, but I just, I'm looking ahead that I don't want this coaching staff. Well, and so, so, the last so, time I, so the Bob, last so time Bob, I you, you, way, Bob, 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 you know all about that because you all right, Bob. question. Are you going to finish? Okay. And you Keep, started let's a big go. skirmish with Mr. Ray Hanley. I started back. a skirmish with Ray Hanley. Bob. You need to so get Bob. All right, Bob. I wanted to make sure that there was a coaching change. All right, I'm glad you wanted I mean, to make sure that there was a coaching change. Yada yada yada, bit of beep and a bop and a boop. Ah, yes, sir. Hello. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. All right. No, no, keep talking. Yada 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 yada. Thank you very much. I want to mention one thing, Bob, and I hope you're still listening to the program because you just mentioned the fellow from Ohio State, Young, the the pass rusher, Chase Young. Now, listen, I understand that he is a terrific pass rusher at the NCAA level. I would only say one thing, and I've only watched one Ohio State game in its entirety this year, and that was the game against Michigan last week. Do you know he was shut out, Russ? Mm-hmm. He had nothing. I'm not, I'm not just talking about he didn't have any sacks in the game. Yeah, he but- didn't even have a tackle, not an assisted tackle. He had zero, zero. And you know about Ohio State, the Michigan game – is like a bowl game to them. It is the game on the schedule. He got shut out. Zero. Nada. Did well, nothing. So what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is that raised the yellow flag for me. Okay? Now, I've only watched one game from Ohio State in its entirety this year. I've seen a lot of highlights of the guy, and the highlights look great. But when I watched this game, I said, okay, this is one of those games where the best players need to show up. I didn't see him show up. That bothered me. So what I'm saying is this. I'm going to watch him now the rest of the way as Ohio State finishes out their schedule and their bowl game, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to watch him very carefully. And I better see him come back with a vengeance after getting shut out by Michigan. I better see that. Because, you know, for a guy to be picked that high, I want to see him respond. Listen, um, 
I don't know. I haven't watched a ton of him. I, I do know what you know, what we read in here. Everybody says consensus. He's a can't-miss stud. But uh, we haven't heard. We, we've heard in the past about can't-misses, and they have been misses for a variety of, of teams. But I want to correct see, see two things. I don't like a team losing on purpose and, and Bob saying he wants them to lose because he wants a coaching change. Well, I, I don't ever want my teams losing on purpose. That's a terrible way to feel. Yeah. Horrible. It's wrong. It's wrong. So, it's wrong. So, so it, you should never do don't that. Don't tell me how wonderful a fan you are. I don't care if you have had tickets since uh, Columbus discovered America. That's number one. But number two, Bob's pointed out that I created something and started something. And if I'm not, if I'm, if I recollect, you happened to be there as sure well was. at the time. He, he says, I started something with Ray Hanley. I was right next to Ray at the time. Okay. So let me point out, for, the, for those people who aren't familiar with the Ray Hanley situation, Ray Hanley followed uh, Bill Parcells, okay? And uh, was this, was, it was a second season. And Phil Simms, uh, was it the second season or his first season? I'm trying I can't remember, remember what okay. year this was. But, but anyway, um, Phil Simms, he made Jeff Hostetler the starting quarterback. So a game in uh, Probably Tampa. Probably his first year, but anyway. Yeah, it, a, a game in Tampa, if mm -hmm. you recall. Haas, uh, as we called him, got hurt. Phil came in, brought the Giants back to victory. And, and Haas, it was a back injury. Mm -hmm. So, so the next Monday it was either the Monday or the Tuesday. Same injury, but they has but not pe but they peppers, peppers transverse back injury. Yeah. Uh, yep. so, so the next Monday, I, I believe it was Monday. Yeah, it definitely mm -hmm. was Monday. It was. Uh, I'll tell you the ex exact story. Um, I remember calling Phil Sims at his house and speaking to his wife Diana that night, saying, "Listen, I got to get a hold of Phil. We got to talk to him about the comeback." Blah blah blah. So we get a hold of Phil. Phil meets me in the parking lot. We have the meeting. Uh, you know, I interview Phil. And then we're getting in the car, me and my cameraman, and we're driving to Shea Stadium because they were going to introduce a new video, uh, uh, VHS, a, a video of Doc Gooden. But then we look at the time and says, you know what? We got time to kill. Let's go hear what Ray Hanley has to say. And very innocently, I asked Ray Hanley, I raised my hand and say, uh, Coach, if Haas heals, I wanted to say if Haas heals, who's going to be the starting quarterback? And it was, don't ask me that question. I said, what do you mean, don't ask me that question? It's a simple, don't ask me that question. So I tried to ask him again, and he said, if you guys don't get him to shut up, I'm walking out of here. At which point, now you're trying to be a bully. So I asked the question, and he got up and left. And it was, you know, a big brouhaha, and, and everybody was talking and writing about it. So do me a favor, Bob from Pennsylvania. Don't tell me I started anything with Ray Hanley. He started it, and quite frankly, he finished it. End of story. Let's just, let's not portray fake news. That's all I'm saying. That said, 201-939-4513 is the number. Let's go to our friend in Delaware, Coach Marvin. Hello, Coach. You're on with Russ and Paul again. How you doing, Russ and Paul? Good. What's going on? How you doing? I uh, hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. We're trying. Yes, we I hope you did. Yeah, it was pretty good. I was up there, um, but I didn't uh, see the team up there. I ended up coming back to Delaware before the snow came down. Um, but uh, I was listening, hearing y'all were talking. I didn't hear the whole conversation. Something about Chase Young. Uh, hoping he's legit. I, I didn't hear the whole conversation. No, no, Paul. Paul had just mentioned uh, Coach Marv that um, he. Um, what'd you say, Paul? Didn't he was he, shut out shut, against Michigan this past weekend, and you know that kind of bothered me a little bit. So I'm very much looking forward to see how he responds to being blanked in what is the most important game of the Ohio State schedule. Right. Yeah. He. He. he uh, they. Um, Michigan did a good job of blocking them, but he, he, did. he did put pressure on them uh, a few times. I saw he he was he was there, but he didn't get there. Um, he didn't he didn't make the sack, but he did put some pressure. Uh, but Michigan did a good job with him. Uh, but I, I think he is a legitimate um, player. I, um, 
I'm sure no, he is I'm, too, Coach Marvin. Let me just say one other thing here. As an asterisk, I'm simply saying that that bothered me. I'm not saying he's any less of a player, and I'm not saying that I've watched full games of any other game he played this year. I need to do that. I will do extensive tape work on him, trust me, as we go to the combine and we get to the draft. But it did it did kind of you know make me wince a little bit when he got shut out, albeit Michigan devoted a lot of attention to him. Don't get me wrong. Well, tri- but, triple teams tend to shut yeah, you out. Yeah, but, but, but you know what? In important games... Uh, Lawrence Taylor usually showed up. Well, that yeah. now you make a mistake, number one. <laughs> I'm you, comparing you, him you to, Lawrence to Lawrence Taylor. I shouldn't Taylor. do that. Especially somebody still in school. I know, I okay. know. But the, you, you, get, you get what I'm saying, yeah. though. This guy's getting a lot yeah. of hype. And when you're getting yeah. a lot of hype like that, you've got to live up to it. Go ahead, Coach. Yeah, I, what? I definitely understand what you're saying. And uh, I, I think he will show up this weekend um, when they play. He, he's an outstanding player and – I, I believe he does deserve the uh, player of the, the Heisman, really. Uh, Burroughs played outstanding himself. Maybe he won't get it because he, I think he missed two games this year. I think he was suspended or something for two games. And um, so he may not get the Heisman, but uh, he's definitely a candidate. He's he was out- credited with two quarterback hurries in the game, by the way, which doesn't count on the official stat sheet. But that's what he had, Coach Marvin. And I think you would agree with me that you'd like to see your superstar player have a little bit more than that in the biggest game of the season. Yeah, I, I do. And I expected that of him to have a big game last weekend, and, and he didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, I hear you guys were talking about someone was talking about hoping that the team lose. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's I, not acceptable. Somebody get fired. Uh, that's, that's, that's kind of brutal. And, you know, fans can be brutal in, this, in that business. And uh, these guys have families, and I, I don't think Sherman goes into it with a game plan of looking to fail. Um, but uh, you know, it's, uh, it's you don't want to get to the point where you're rooting for the team to lose. Um, I never would root for them to lose. Uh, I don't take it as harsh when they lose, but I, I do. I do. I am upset when they are when they do lose in the moment, and then I say, well, it is what it is. And then I just move on. But I'm not right. rooting for to lose. I'm not going to sit and watch a game and say, I hope they don't make this first down. I hope they uh, can't score. And that, that's, a, that's a little harsh. I know that people are upset, but it shouldn't be to this extent. It's not being a fan if you root for your team to lose, I, Coach Marvin. It's just not. You know, you know what, Coach? I've never understood that. And I've said this to Paul several times. It, it, it could be any any of my teams i've never booed i as a kid till till now i never booed any of my teams except if somebody is being a dog and not trying you, right. you know because if you're not trying that's something else if a guy's going out there you, you know doing his best listen in the world of professional sports, sometimes doing your best just ain't good enough because it's it's a it's in a win loss business. But having said that, they're trying. I'm not booing somebody if they're trying. If they're right. not trying, it's a different story. Right. I think it's the social media of today, and people want instant change right away today. Um, you got it in all sports. It's not just in this. Oh, one. for sure. <laughs> You, you got the kid that in Alabama this weekend, he put on social media, media where he's apologizing to the fans and everybody. And I'm like, why you need to do that? You, you, really deep down, Paul and Russ, it's a game. It's not life and death. It's a game. But people take it to the extent to where they make these games life and death. And, they have, and, and I used to have to say that to certain parents when we were, if we did lose a game. Yet understand, we're playing a game. It's a competitive game. You want both teams to want to win, but both teams are not going to win. It's not going to. That's just not the way it's built. Made uh, the game is played. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. You have to be able to handle it. I'm not saying that you sit and you laugh about that you lost and you giggling and stuff. But don't take it to the extent to where it becomes violent or disrespectful because in a way when you're talking disrespectful to people you've been disrespectful to the game if you're rooting for a team to lose you've been disrespectful to the team and the game itself so i i think people are are i mean it's because of how fast people want things to turn around today 
Right. That's the dangerous part, especially when this here rolls over, not just into the NFL, but it rolls over into our youth leagues of how parents treat kids when they're playing these sports. They make it life and death. Well, you, you, you know what, Coach Marv? You, you, that's why you're one of our favorite callers. But listen, you can speak to this better than most people because you coach kids. You, you've dealt with the parents. And, you know, I've always said this. Sports is probably, and I'll go back to Little League and stuff like that, that's the first time a lot of these kids learn about disappointment. You know, it's heartbreaking yeah. to lose. They cry at the end of a game. But sometimes, sometimes, you know, the great Roy Campanella, uh, the Hall of Fame catcher with the Brooklyn Dodgers once said, you know, baseball's a great game. Uh, he said two things. Baseball's a great game, uh, but... It's a great game until the parents screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> and then he said, even though the game is, then, as far as pros go, he said, even though, Paul, the game is, it's a business, you still got to have a lot of little boy in you to play the, you know, in that business. I, I'm going to disagree with you guys just a little bit. All right. I'm going to say this. I do believe that when George Allen said, you know, every time you lose, a little PC has got to die inside. I do believe that losing has to hurt. I do believe when you get to the professional level, especially not so much the lower levels, but when you get to the professional level and you lose, you better hurt and you better be angry about it. Because as Bill Parcells used to say, winning breeds winning and losing breeds. He's, Coach Marvin's not talking about you know? the players. Coach Marvin's talking about the fans. I'm talking the fans. He's talking about oh, the fans. I, I misunderstood. I thought I thought you were talking no. about players because you were saying about the the Alabama player who apologized, and and if he felt so bad about losing that he felt compelled on his own behalf to apologize, I don't think that's a problem for me. I don't think any one player should apologize on behalf of a team because now you're speaking for other teammates. But if he thought his performance cost them the game then he has every right to apologize if he wants to. Well, I, 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 I get I what Coach – go ahead, Coach. I agree with that, Paul. I, I can agree with that. But I, I just – for me, I, I didn't feel that's why he was apologizing. Okay. I think he was getting ahead of the curve because of what was going to happen to him. Because as soon as he missed it, that was my first thought. And how are people going to treat him after this game? Exactly. I, okay. I, I, and the way you said it, Paul, I agree. I, I, you, you know, you did, it should hurt when you lose games, when you're the players, and and they do hurt. And I always said, winning doesn't last that long because once we win a game, that's it. Mm -hmm. We're on to next week. We're ready to play next week. But when you're losing, that lasts too. All the practices that last until you get back on the field again and try to correct that law, and, and, and that's the difference between winning and losing. And that's the, the difference, Coach Marv. Thank you, buddy, as always for the call, my friend. That is also the difference in with football as opposed to all the other sports. You know, if you're playing baseball or you're playing basketball or hockey, you get a chance to cl clean it out quickly the next night. It doesn't quickly. happen in, in football. Well, unless you're a closer in baseball. Then there's a possibility <laughs> you may not pitch for a couple of days. Or even the starter knows Possibly. he's not going to pitch every five days. Possibly. But you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I get the it. Team I get itself, it. I know, get it. Uh, so even the fans get a chance to erase last night's loss tonight. That do, kind of do thing. Do you know one time, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, folks. It's one of the, the great scenes that I vivid etched in my mind forever. Uh, Lawrence Taylor after the playoff loss when Flipper Anderson ran into the tunnel in overtime. Yeah, oh, yeah, I remember it. Lawrence Taylor sat at his locker for 15 minutes. I remember that. Did not move a muscle. He sat there with his, with his, with his elbows on his, on his knees, and he just sat there, and he did not flinch for 15 yes. minutes. I, he was so angry. He was so overcome with emotion. He was so stunned. He was so furious, and not a soul came within yards of him. Yep, I remember that okay? like it was yesterday. Right? It's etched in my mind. Yep. I, I can see it. That, that 
is how a player should react after losing a playoff game. Well, yeah, but but I, I it know, should hurt. No, it should bother you. But no one's disputing that anyway. That, that's that's what I just I just offer that up, yeah. Coach Marvin. You would you would it wasn't a scene that I enjoyed seeing, but it was one that impacted me a lot. No, because I, you didn't want to go anywhere near him, man. You it, knew what he was you thinking. Know, the, 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 there's a, a zillion and one scenes like that. You know, uh, Ralph Branca serving up the home run ball to Bobby Thompson and the shot heard around the world, crying. You know, why me? Why me? That, that's part of the game. Well, that's it's part let, of the definition of competition. Yeah. Let's go to our friend in uh, Columbia, Maryland, Len. How are we doing today, my friend? You're on, as always, with Russ and Paulie. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi. How you doing? I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, Lenny. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I hope everything went well, and I, I, had, a good, I had a good one, too. Good. Good. Let me, let me just say this. Um, I, I saw my first game in 1952, guys. My father took me to see the Giants and the Eagles at the Polo Grounds. 52? God bless, I, Lenny. I hate the Eagles. <laughs> I just want to tell you straight out, there's no team I hate anymore than the Philadelphia Eagles. But okay. Let me, let me comment on a couple of things, and maybe I can help some folks with my uh, veteran approach to this thing. Emlyn Tennell was simply spectacular. I saw Tennell. When Tennell was ready to field a punt, people stood up. When he was ready to field a kickoff, people stood up. Something was going to happen. Interceptions, shocking things, unbelievable returns, both interceptions. And the guy was just great. And that's why if you go into the main gate at MetLife Stadium, right there in the lobby, and you look up, there's a big picture of Lawrence Taylor, a big picture of Emlyn Tennell, and a big picture of a guy named Mel Hine, who will make the offensive line all-time. Oh, sure. and I, I always say that. Yeah. I did not see Hine. Hein was, <laughs> Hine was before me, but my father always told me. Me neither, Len. <laughs> my father always told me that the best player, three best players he ever saw were Taylor, Tennell, and a guy named Mel Hine. And my father was never wrong, Russ. So I'm going with Mel Hine. I'm okay. going with Mel Hine. He'll be with that <laughs> offensive line. Hey, Len, Len, before you go on, if you don't, don't mind me asking, God bless you. Your first game was 1952. Dad took you. May I ask yep. how old you are? I was, in 1952, no. I was nine years old. Wow. Okay. We used, to go visit, we used to go visit my grandmother in the Bronx. We went one Sunday, and my father said, you stay in the car. I said, where are we going? He said, we're going to a football game. I said to him, "What's that?" He said, "You'll see." <laughs> I was I was hooked. That's Russ. so cool. Yep. Hooked. So hooked. cool. You, you it got into it got into my blood. You know I something? I was hooked with it. 1952. I I had an aunt who lived on the Grand Concourse. Listen to this, Paul. I had an aunt Len who lived on the Grand Concourse. I never I remember the address. Of course, the street from the park near the courthouse, 750 Grand Concourse. And on Sundays, we'd go visit her. And you uh -huh. could, you know, it was right near the stadium. Yeah. You could hear the cheers during the game. And I remember saying to my father, because he used to watch people going wearing the, the fur coats and the rack. Yeah, no, that's what it was. They looked like Ralph Cramden going in the nose. <laughs> they yeah. were great. No, those were, you, yeah. you know those games, right, Lenny? <laughs> those were great days. Yes, they those were. Those were great days. Hey, listen, you know, very surprised that Strahan didn't make that final list of defensive linemen, you know, best Best uh, pass rusher combination, pass rusher, uh, run run block, you know, run player. Uh, I I ever saw two way player, best defensive two way player defensive end ever, ever. Uh, but he didn't make it. You know, they went with Doug Atkins, Chicago Bears, ferocious defensive end. Yes, mm -hmm. six foot eight. Paulie will remember him. Yep. And and a guy named Bill Ewart back in the thirties. I I didn't see Ewart obviously again. But sure. uh, he was a two-way two player, and I think they went with you at over Strahan simply because he was an unbelievable pass catcher and a, 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 just a terrific defensive end as well. But, uh, Len, I'm going to take and, exception and, and, and to one guy. Len, Puff, before you go. Puff, you know, Len, Len, but hold on. Hold on, Len, before you go any further, just so the rest of our audience knows the defensive ends they took, yeah. because I will take exception to one of the guys on the list. 
I can't argue like you said about Hewitt because obviously way before my time and the game yeah. was different. So it's unfair to argue him. How did Hewitt spell his name? Is it H U A R T E? H E W I T T. Hewitt. Okay. But 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 Gino Marchetti, I can't argue that. I know enough about him, even though I didn't see him play. I do know yeah. enough about him. I cannot argue with him. But the modern guys who I saw play, Deacon Jones, certainly yeah. has to be there. Okay. Bruce Smith. I've got no complaint about Bruce Smith. Reggie yeah. White, no complaint about Reggie White. But there's right. one other defensive end that they took, Leroy Selman of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I object. Yeah. Michael Strahan over yeah. Leroy Selman, oh, hands yeah. down. I, I, would, I object. Yeah. I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, very quickly, very quickly on Huff. You know, um, you know, in 1956 when he started, one of the guys they went with was a guy named Joe Schmidt. You got to check this out. A middle linebacker from mm-hmm. the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. And I think Schmidt got the spot because he was the I think the very first one to really play middle linebacker in the NFL. Remember if you read your history books, they used to play a five-man front. They had a guy called a middle guard. Right. Yes, but then they went to a traditional four-three, and it was about fifty-four, fifty-five. Schmidt with the Lions, a terrific football player. I'm not taking anything away from Joe Schmidt, but I think he made it because he was he was the first one. He was, he was the first one that 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 played that middle linebacker position. But Russ, I remember that program uh, with that uh, was really good. You remember that? that yeah. Really, oh my goodness, yes. The, I, I think the, it was. Geez, I think it was like fifty-nine, something like fifty-eight, fifty-nine. The viol- but, No, 1960. Uh, no, it was 1960. 1960. Yep. Okay, 1960. You know, the only two times in my life I was angry with the Giants. Paul has heard me say this before. The first time was when they traded Sam Huff in 1964. Mm-hmm. I said to myself, I'm never going to watch another game. And then secondly, and since the fella talked about the Yale Bowl, they made, me <laughs> they made us go back to the Yale Bowl a second year, Paul. You know, the first year was about three-quarters of a season. I remember, 1974. Sure, sure. About three-quarters, but when they when they said we're going back for that second year. I know. And they they never got back for the third year because I think everybody said we're just not going back. Not they went to Shea Stadium in 75, and, and that Shea didn't turn Stadium out so that, good either. For that one year. But, but, but Len, before yeah. you go now, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to have to send you away. We have other callers yeah, yeah, on the yeah, line. Okay, okay, but the okay, middle hey, linebackers. Len, I couldn't, you know, I, I'm just, I've really gotten into this 100, 100 okay, year, this 100 all right. year thing. All right, now, Len, just, Len, I'm stay there. The hell out of it. Stay hey, there. Don't go. No, don't go. Len, don't go. Hold on. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> the middle linebackers, again, for the rest of the audience who they they picked on the 100 yeah. team, they took Dick Butkus, I cannot argue. Yes. Jack Lambert, cannot argue. Yeah. Willie Lanier, I cannot argue. I saw right. all of these guys, and I agree with all of them. They took yeah. Ray Lewis. I understand that one. The, yeah. Joe Schmidt was the old-timer that you talked about, and I've yeah. heard so many things about him, it's hard to argue. But here's what bothered me. They took Junior Seau. Now, yeah. here's my problem, okay? The game became much more of a passing game, and Seau was more of a pass coverage linebacker. But I will say this. I personally, myself, I would have taken Harry Carson not only over Seau, but over Sam Huff as well. Harry yeah. Carson made the, made the Pro Bowl and was an old NFL Pro Bowl player as not only a middle linebacker in the 4-3, but then also yeah. did it as an inside linebacker in the 3-4. And remember, yeah. he was a converted defensive tackle yes. when he came yes. out of college. Yeah. Do not underestimate the value and the incredible uh, uh, acumen and talent that it took for Harry to be able to make those conversions. Yeah. That to me gives him bonus points. I would yes. have taken Harry Carson. I dis- also, also, you know, if you had to pick an inside linebacker in the three-four, you know, and I think you know they say how got there because they had to pick some outside guys, Paul. Well, you no, know, no, they had- they're listing him specifically as a middle guy. The outside guys they took Lawrence Taylor, Ted Hendricks, yeah, oh yeah. Jack Ham, Derek yeah. Brooks. Bobby Bell and Chuck Bednarik. I can't yeah. argue with any of those guys. No. I, yeah. I, I, the the only thing I would say to you about um, Harry. Listen, we love Harry here, obviously, but but Huff was to me was spectacular. Oh I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, he yeah. he was. Yeah. He he was like. You want to know what he? From my recollection, he was the first defensive player 
that I remembered like, wow. I don't dispute any of that, but Huff played on championship caliber teams his entire okay. career with the Giants. Well, you can't. Harry oh, Carson goodness. played oh, on and, some and real Russ, drag I you, teams. I hope you remember that. Uh, okay. Uh, Harry played know, on some 50, really bad teams. season and those games against Jim Brown. Sure. And that, that, that playoff I, I get game it. where they held I get Brown it. to nine, y- nine yards. And I get it. And it was all Sam Huff doing yeah. it. I get it. But uh, he also had guys like Greer and Robustelli and Ken Cabbage. Okay, so you know, before. punish him for that. He was a great player. No, but, but playoff game. Harry did what he did on some really bad teams. Oh. I'm, I'm going with Harry. I'm sorry. All right. Thank you, Len. Appreciate okay, good. hey, thanks. Go Giants. Uh, Beat the Eagles, please. Uh, all right, Lenny. Thank you very much. 201-939-4513 is the number. A little day to talk about history. Kind of fun. Let's go to uh, New Mexico and check in with Scott. Hello, Scott. You're on with Russ and Paul. Hi, guys. How are you? Hello. How are you doing? Um, since we're going down memory lane, my first game, I was actually watching the championship game in Chicago. I got invited. I was 12 years old, and I saw Del Schaffner drop a short oh, touchdown past me. And I zone, know. Which would have given the Giants the victory. Yeah. Oh. What was that, 63? I'm sorry? Was 60, that 63, Scott? 63, yes. 63. Yeah. 63. At, at Wrigley Field. Yes, at Wrigley. Uh-huh. Yeah, and yeah. It was an amazing game, and uh, the Giants had every opportunity to win that game, and for some reason or another, they just couldn't pull it off. But uh, as well, I said, I was, Del t- Schaffner was my idol at the time. You, you remember, so- that team was basically a pass-oriented team, and Tittle had trouble throwing in the wind. The right. guy said, as you said, Schaffner drops a touchdown pass. Icy, windy conditions. Tittle gets whacked in the knee in that Correct. game, and is limping on one leg. He wasn't mobile anyway, and now he's only on one leg, and the Bears teed off on him. It was right. terrible. Yeah, also, God bless YA. YA looked 85 years old when he was 35 years old. <laughs> he did, uh, but it was a, an exciting game to watch. Uh, so that was my first experience as a Giant. Where, where'd you, where uh, were you I sitting? for two days after that. So. Where were you sitting, behind the end zone where Chaffner dropped the pass, or where were you? Yeah, I was right there. I was actually right where he had made a cut, and he ran into you know, He was about three yards behind wow. the defender and had just the open play and dropped it and that was that wow amazing stuff <laughs> yeah uh, i just curious you piqued my interest was uh, ray nitschke on that list for the hundred nitschke did players? not make the list that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I can't understand how he could not have made that list. You know what, Scott? That that's another name that he had just t- thinking about it. I just forgot about when I mentioned uh, for me personally. I'm not saying the greatest of all time, but uh, Sam Huff was the first huge, like mega defensive player. And Nitschke was one of those other, I mean, that look on Nitschke <laughs> with the Packers, I mean, he was another one, I mean, at the linebacker position. Wow. Yeah, he, he was the best I had seen at the position at the time. So, But uh, my question today, um, I want to talk about a positive for the Giants that a lot of people probably won't be talking about. Uh, I know the Giants rank 29th right now in team defense, but one of the statistics that's kind of interesting is they've only given up per rush attempts 3.9 yards. Mm-hmm. That's the sixth. That's the sixth best in the NFL, and correct. better than New England, San Francisco, and Buffalo. Yes, we're all going to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So that part of the defense is doing very well. Uh, the the thing that is something that Carl Banks mentioned a couple of weeks ago is he said that the secondary is sort of disconnected. And the question I really have is when the team goes in, and we've heard the comments from Saquon Barkley in regards to they practice like they're a 10-2 team instead of a 2-10 team. But what is the disconnect? Because as you guys have already alluded to, after 12 games you're not a rookie any longer. And even though the Giants play a lot of rookies, they're not the youngest team in the NFL. I think they rank 18th so far as average age. So when you have defects in the secondary, it's usually a compilation of a lot of different problems. But when they practice, since you guys know what's transpiring in the practices, where is the disconnect? Why aren't the players being able to adapt to whatever the coaches are telling them so far as the secondary is concerned? And why are the mistakes so um, uh, revealing in regards to a repetition of the same issues? Well, well Scott, f- first off, and, and I'll let you know, Paul answer, but you know, first off, what we get to see in practice, 
what, what is it, Scott? Uh, Paul, we get we, 15 we, to 20 we get minutes 15, 20 usually. Yeah, about 20 minutes. Right. And, and, and of that 15, 20 minutes, we're not seeing a whole lot of the intricate we're, stuff. We're seeing warm-ups, we're seeing yeah. special teams, and we're seeing individual position drills. Now, if you right. just if you just ask me, Scott, for my opinion, then I'll let you know Paul answer. Um, you, you've got... You know, I mentioned it going into this past week game. You got a bunch of young guys. Let's see. Now it's Love. It, it's Baker. It's Ballantyne. It's Beal. And uh, couple that with all those young guys back there. Couple that with they still need the guys. The the, the run stopping is okay. It's been taken care no, of. No, it's actually very good. Yeah, no, so no. I, but but what I'm, I'm saying, you, you need you need the that's that's the next part of the building of that line is to get the edge rusher or ru- edge rushers in there. Paul? Yeah, but 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 sacks and uh, you know rush. I'm not just talking about sacks. No, no, yeah. I'm not talking about sacks. I'm talking okay. about pressure coming from that side. Right. I'm not talking Scott, about sacks. I, I'm going to answer your question in two ways. First of all, okay. there's no question about your comment. The Giants' rush defense, specifically because of their defensive line, more than any other position on the field, the defensive line has been stout against the run. And I think, that, the, to be honest with you, Leonard Williams has really enhanced that in the last month. I okay. like this kid a lot. I think he's a good player. I hope the Giants re-sign him. He is very, very stout against the run. So let me just throw that to you as a comment uh, off of your first comment. Now, I'm going to give you an example of what you're asking about with the disconnect. I can't tell you why it's happening, but it's an an example. And and why it's so puzzling is because you're not going to get a player or a coach throw somebody under the bus and sell out. Because if you have that... Then you've got a lot of cancer in your locker room, and the Giants don't want that this year. They've done a good job of cleaning that out. But here's an example, okay? Adams, Devontae Adams of the Packers, he caught a touchdown the other day. It was a uh, uh, an eight-yard touchdown pass. It was second and goal, okay? Right. Because I marked this down in my notes off the game. It was a second and goal from the Giants' eight, and Devontae Adams runs his route, and he sits down right in the middle of the field at the goal line. Right. Okay? I don't know if you remember the play. I do remember it, yeah. Okay? Yeah. Now, when he reached over the goal right. to, for the touchdown. Now, touchdown. here's the problem. Coming off the line of scrimmage, all right, there was a player from the offense's right who ran a crossing route to the left, and Alec Ogletree stuck with that guy man-to-man. David Mayo, who was to the right of Ogletree, had an opportunity to defend Adams. But as Adams came into the center of the field and then sat down, Mayo passed him off as if he was playing zone. But because the receiver coming from the other side of the field ran the crossing route and Ogletree was playing man on him, what you then had was a receiver running to the right side of the Giants' defense now being guarded by two linebackers and Devontae Adams sitting all alone between the hash marks at the goal line with nobody home. It says to me, one linebacker was playing man, the other linebacker was playing zone. That's a very bad mix. Now, so the question is, did somebody not get the call? Did somebody not understand the call? I don't know the answer to that. And the only way you're going to know is if you were in the huddle or if one of those players sells out the other guy and says, oh, he was supposed to play this and he didn't do it. But again, that's the last thing you want if you're an organization is for guys to be pointing fingers at each other. But there's a typical play of how badly crossed up the Giants defense got. And oh, by the way, if there was going to be any help on the play, Antoine Bethea was playing too deep, and he had no opportunity to come up and cover Adams, and so touchdown Packers. Uh, it turns out to be a horrible play, but that's the kind of disconnect you're talking about. As always, Scott, thanks for the call, buddy. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh-oh. I have a bad feeling about this. Here we Hallelujah. go. Losing his mind. Mr. Illness. He wasn't right in the hat. Enough jokes. I am happy. You're a madman. This can mean only one thing. It is our buddy from Portland, Maine. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. 
You're hey, on with Russell. Happy hey, Thanksgiving. Russell. Happy hey, Thanksgiving, buddy. How was the lobsters for Thanksgiving? Oh, they were excellent. Good. Little lobsters and linguine. Oh. Was just uh, perfect. Good. I just can't hey. believe you stooped to schmoke level playing that music. No, it's in honor of Charlie. <laughs> no, 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 it's, no, it's, no. It's in no, honor of Charlie. No, no. Anyway. Just don't do it when Lance is around. Yeah. He'll kill you, Russ. Go ahead. <laughs> Hey, um, just going back in the past, um, you guys have been reminiscing. I remember Red Grange and Jim Thorpe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, you sound pretty spry for a guy who can remember them. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, and the thing is, Russ, you were saying, like, the secondary is young, but it isn't just them making the mistakes. No, that I agree with, Charlie. Couldn't, and, you know, and, and, if it was just them, then you could say, okay, but it's got to be, there's some miscommunication or either Betcher's scheme is too complicated because nobody knows what they're doing. One is doing zone, one's playing man, one's doing the reverse man, the reverse zone. They don't know. They're never on the same page, so they don't know what's going on. That It's got to be coaching. It's got to be partly coaching. Well, Charlie, let's put it this way. Like the play that I just described, there are many possibilities why that gets messed up. Was it communicated improperly? Was it then called correctly in the huddle? Did the players all understand it? Did they all hear it correctly? Was it maybe, as you said, was the scheme too complicated? Were they supposed to see something at the line and then make an adjustment off of it? There are many reasons why that could have broken down. The problem is it can't break down if you're going to be a winning football team. Yeah, well, I guess we know that isn't happening this year. But, <laughs> hey, uh, we got four games left. I would love to see Eli Manning play those last four games. And, uh, you know, maybe Daniel Jones' ankle is worse than we think. It, but I'd love to see Eli at least get in. It, it ain't going to happen, Charlie. It, uh, unless, God forbid, and I say God forbid because I never want anybody to get hurt. Unless oh, God no, forbid. he already got hurt. But I'm just saying, it, it, if he it, is, hurt, it's seriously. worse than we think. It ain't going to happen, Charlie. I know. Know you got Eli Itis. We love Eli, but it's it's not going to happen. <laughs> hey, hey, but you you got to look at this. You know what did the Bengals in Miami do? They they played rookies and they lost and they lost and they lost. You know what they said? Enough. And they put their veterans back in. And guess what? They won. Bengals finally won a game, and Miami's won three mm-hmm. because of Fitzpatrick and because of Dalton. And we should be doing the exact same thing. Well, you, you know, I think put Eli I, 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 in and I, I, win some games because that's know, what this franchise needs. You know what? I I think they ought to like bypass Eli Charlie and call up Phil Sims and see if he will suit up and <laughs> we'll get him in the lineup. All right? <laughs> no, I don't want Phil. I want Eli. Yeah, I, I know him. you want Eli. All right, Charlie. As <laughs> okay, always, guys, thank have, you. Have be well, Charlie. God bless. <laughs> I mean, I think Eli. What would be the perfect Christmas present for Charlie? There are times where Charlie just leaves me speechless. That's all I can say. The, the, no, no, but but you got to get him an either an Eli jersey or Eli pajamas or Eli an Eli picture something interesting. A lot of talk today about the history uh, of the National Football League with these hundred top. Uh, uh, yeah, players. well, Ch- Charlie Harding tweets us, uh, not talking Giants, but just saying with Nitschke, Nobis, Tommy Nobis, don't forget well, him. Yeah, hey. Singletary, another guy. Uh, Ur- Erlacher, sorry, he doesn't qualify on this list as far as I'm concerned. And Chuck Howley saying, uh, you know, those guys all outstanding, hard to choose between them. I don't put Erlacher in that class. He was a glorified, free, uh, strong safety to me. And uh, I, I think he was very much overrated. But having said that, certainly all the other guys were quality, uh, very high quality, elite uh, inside backers. Who was backers. on that list again of, of the line? Of, of oh, the I got to go. Okay, Are you going to make me look it up? No, I, no, 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 no. no. Uh, we did have one other tweet I did want to mention here, and I thought this was very interesting. Uh, where is it here? He goes, um, oh, I want to get back to this guy. Well, let me see one, one second. We got a few lines open while Paul is, is looking, folks. 201-939-4513. Got six minutes left in the show. So if you want to give us a quick call, please feel free to do so. Also want to remind everybody, if you subscribe to the Giants Audio Podcast, 
You got to make note that Big Blue Kickoff Live now has its own dedicated podcast. So you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. Again, Big Blue Kickoff Live is no longer available in the Giants audio podcast. So please subscribe to the Big Blue Kickoff Live podcast. You can still watch or listen to the show on Giants.com, which is us, uh, just where Big Blue Kickoff Live is, of course, on uh, the Giants app. All right, I found the two tweets I wanted to read to you, Russ. Uh, Barbecue East, well, Barbecue Beast, I'm sorry, is his name. And he says, all I can say is I will be at the Eagles game on December 29th, and I'm going to give Eli Manning a standing ovation that he deserves. I hope the Giants do something at halftime. It's a must, another Eli Manning fan. And I look, and and to be perfectly honest, um, I understand that because – you know, if you're if you're an Eli guy, uh, it's it's going to be sad to see him leave. You don't even have to be an Eli guy. I mean, when I say an Eli guy, just a football guy. Yeah, I mean, not yeah. even just a Giants guy. If if you are a football fan, um, and I really mean this, if you are a football fan, I'll even take one step further. If you are a sports fan, you enjoy sports. There is no better example of how a guy should conduct conduct himself, how he should act, mm-hmm. and how he should perform better than Eli. He has been the entire package from the day he arrived to the day he's going to leave. The entire package, you know, throw in two Super Bowl rings, two Super Bowl MVPs. I mean, it's it's been quite a stellar career, but he really has been the perfect gentleman, uh, in every way, shape, or form, there is nothing negative. There's nothing negative to say about Eli Manning. But as I was saying to Charlie, um, it ain't going to happen unless, God forbid, Daniel gets hurt to the point where he can't play. And I say, God forbid, because I, I never want to. Listen, we've had enough damn injuries for, oh, for, yeah. from a Giants perspective this, to fill up five seasons this year. Russ, I will say one thing. And that is you and I have both been around a long time and been around a lot of teams, a lot of locker rooms, a lot of superstars. I will say this. If this is the last time that Eli Manning suits up in a in a football jersey, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, the week of that I'm finale sure. against the Eagles, but I'm going to get this out there right now, and I'm not afraid to say it, okay? If, in fact, it is the last time Eli Manning suits up, I'm glad for him that it is a home game. Because I would like to see him get a standing ovation from that crowd as he walks off that field. Oh, I couldn't agree Too many with you times, more. I remember Phil Simms and Lawrence Taylor, they, they finished their careers in a playoff loss in San Francisco and walked off the field for what turned out to be the last time. I really love, like when Derek Jeter, you remember his last game? He yep. got that base hit to win the game yes. and the whole stadium erupted. That's the way that legends should be allowed to cap their careers. But it doesn't always happen that way. You know, that, that's you know, for the storybook. It and, really is. And, and the schmaltz and everything else. But I, I do at least like them to be able to absorb the home crowd's well, appreciation. M- much like Lawrence Taylor, much like Phil Simms. It doesn't work out that e- way. E- but, I know. E- but Eli's going to have his moment. When it's all said and done. Oh, there's no question. The the number and everything else. One more guy. Mark in Chicago, one of our all-time favorites who also has been watching the Giants a long time. He wants to chime in. Yeah, Mark calls us a lot. He does. He says, first Giants in-person game, October 24th, 65, at the stadium. Jim Brown, 24 attempts for 177 yards. Whoa. (laughs) Who did he say? Oh, no, you know what? Because because it was Mark from Chicago, I had the Bears on my mind. So right away I was going to say Oh, no, Dale no. He, he's okay. in Chicago yeah, now. Okay, but right. he, for a Giants-Browns game, he also was one-for-one one passing for 39 yards, had three catches for 18 and a touchdown. Mark, I don't know if your memory's that good or you looked it up. I'm not sure. But having said that, the point is, and he says he was a man playing against boys. Well, that was 1965. And if you know anything about Giants history, 1965 was in the middle of the Dark Ages. When their guys had gotten too old, they had they had either become just so broken down, or they had started to 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 whittle away off the roster, had been traded away, et cetera, et cetera. And that was a very very bad time in Giants history. They were not of the ilk to stop Jim Brown as they had in the previous years before, when Sam Huff, as Jim used to say, would attach himself to Brown's legs. Right. Well, uh, listen. Uh... 
those were some glory years back in the day. I mean, you know, it's it's good that we have some of the people like Len, like Bob, you know, people who oh, I love talking about back in the day to be able to talk about it. It was was a lot of fun. You said you heard the crowds at Yankee Stadium. Oh, listen to me. Did you ever get into a game at the old stadium? Yeah, but 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 I'm talking about when I was a kid. You you know, to go, um, I, I like I. Maybe I was, I don't know, six, seven years old. I'm going to visit my aunt. I'm hearing the roar of the crowd. And I look at my father and say, what's that? You know, that was, but that was back in the day, folks, where people used to keep the little flask. Sure. In the inside to to keep them warm. Uh, They had the big fur coats on, the hats, the bula bula, all that stuff. Different time. Uh, Times have changed, but those, those were fun times. Look at that. Yeah. Okay. Now, folks, I'm going to leave you with this. Back on December 1st, just the other day, I retweeted a tweet from the old time ball baseball photos uh, Twitter account. This gentleman, uh, his name is Don Stokes. He is a colorist. What he does is he takes old time baseball photos from yesteryear that are in black and white and he computerized retouches them in color to bring them to life, to give them a new kind of pizzazz so that it looks like something you would see today. He went and took a photo, the Neil Leifer photo of the Giants sideline at Yankee Stadium with the facade in the background from the 1958 December 14th game against the Browns. Okay, we all know that's the game when Pat Summerall kicked the field goal in the snow. Right. This iconic photo has been seen in black and white literally billions of times over the years. But this gentleman, Don Stokes, colorized it, brought it to life. It gave me chills when I saw it. I retweeted it on December 1st. Len, Charlie, uh, Coach Marvin, Mark in Chicago, all of our old-time fans, I invite you to go to my timeline and look at that photo. If you don't get chills, something's wrong with you because it's awesome. I absolutely love it. You think Paul's a little excited, folks? Hey, just, just, I need something to get pumped about. Just, just a little bit. Anyway, want to thank everybody uh, for being part of our Big Blue Kickoff Live here, brought to you by Coors Light. First and foremost, let's thank the man who is taking care of us today at the controls, Brian Conforth, to my buddy here, Paul Dottino, I'm Ross Salzberg. And most of all, as Paul said, to you, the fans out there, because without you people, we'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, which for me is tomorrow, we'll see you then.